One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. And welcome to episode 17 of the Autobot Podcast. Uh, my name is Justin Vibber. I'm joined tonight by Niv Shaw and Chad Young. And on this episode, we're going to talk about the trade deadline. Um, what it is, the strategy that we all three uh, choose to undertake as far as how to approach it, and uh, some buying strategy, some selling strategy, depending on the situation you might find your team in. Um, to lead things off, just to sort of provide context to what the trade deadline is. Uh, the trade deadline is Monday, August 31st. You have until midnight of Monday um, to finalize any trades. And That's in you. Eastern time. Eastern time, yep. Eastern standard, Eastern daylight. We'll just say Eastern time. Okay. All right. I know I know. sometimes... We got to be slippers <laughs> about time. Uh, 11.59 p.m. Eastern time. Midnight's too late. Midnight's too late. Because so that's the next before day. midnight, yes, um, and then that's the deadline to have trades accepted. And then Niv, correct me if I'm wrong. Any outstanding trades that were not accepted before the deadline, you just clear those out. They'll they'll yeah, just disappear. So you, you you'll still see them. Um, I believe you'll still see them as offers, but you won't be allowed to accept them yeah. um, because it'll be after the trade deadline. And usually, like a couple days after the deadline, I I go in and I manually clear them out. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they they will appear, but you you won't have the option to even accept right. them. Okay. Um, and then as another quick little bit of context, this would this trade deadline on August thirty first will be the last time that auto new teams can make any trades until after arbitration is finished on November fifteenth. So that would, I think, is November 16th would be the first day that, that yep. trades can can restart again. So, um, okay, given that, for those that didn't already know all those things, um, what are your guys' sort of general strategy behind how you approach the trade deadline from a high level? Um, what kind of trades are you looking to make? How are you reaching out to teams? How much are you using your trade block? Things like that. I don't know if you guys... So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add one little thing here, even though I said that was all correct and complete. Uh, one quirk out of this season, which I think is affecting, it will affect a lot of head-to-head, and, uh, you know, it's changed the way I think. Obviously, because of the way the season is, how much shorter it is, uh, we're only five weeks into the Major League Baseball season when the trade deadline happens, but we're also halfway through the baseball season. Yeah. Um, and this is going to be the first time since we've introduced head-to-head that the if you are in a league that has playoffs, your playoffs will start before the trade deadline is passed. So you can trade uh, during the playoffs, which is just a quirk of the schedule. It's a quirk of the calendar more than anything. But combining that with like it's half, it's really only halfway through the season and you can trade and the playoffs are starting, it's a really weird dynamic this year, I think, for, for a number of leagues. So I just want to like give you a heads up on that, but also like, I don't know how to, I mean, 
I have standard rules and ways I think about things in a full season, but it's scary to buy or sell this year. I think. Yeah. I mean, um, not. I mean, scary is not the right word, but like, it's certainly nerve wracking more so than it is in a normal year because um, anyone I add uh, from a buy perspective uh, is only four weeks of production to try to push myself over the top and selling I think is also I mean I don't know uh selling also seems to be a challenge to me because if you're trying to sell like you're going to find a lot of reluctant buyers because a lot of teams are in the mix and are you really out of it um maybe but also maybe not I mean a lot of things can still change this season we're having wild shifts in our roto in, in league one and which is a roto league and uh, which, you know, is normal four or five weeks into the season, but it's not normal 50% way through the season. And that's the thing, right? Like the trade deadline this year, it's, it's basically as if it's happening on April 30th instead of, you know, you, you, we're going to have a month of baseball, a little, you know, plus a week. Um, right. And, you know, there are teams right now that are first, second, or third in their league, but how much of that is because of some fluky variants or you know they they just avoided injuries or avoided the covid issues you know they they don't have as many cardinals and marlins and right. um you know Phillies. they've been able to fill things more uh, phillies right um i think at this point though like if you're in first or second or third and it's because of those things like you still are in first, second, or third right. at this point yeah. in the season. I mean, it's, it's only it's, a few weeks left for someone to catch you. Yeah. And that's like, those are the teams that should be the most aggressive buyers, right? If you're looking at your team and you're like, I'm in first, I'm not sure my team's legitimately this good. But if I could maintain the like, if I could maintain out of shortstop what I've been getting out of Dylan Moore and Jake Cronenworth, and maybe I think they're going to continue it, but if I don't, I can go trade for, you know, Francisco Lindor seems to be turning it around the last couple of days. Maybe Tatis is expensive and available in your league. Like, go get those guys. Shore up that performance, right? Because you can go out and you can just you've been given a month head start on everyone. <laughs> Take it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a super fair point. I think the other thing that you just have to emphasize is if the major league baseball season completes and it does seem I'm more optimistic today than I think I've been in a while in terms of both, uh, obviously, uh, player health has been uh, positive recently. And, and also, it seems Major League Baseball is taking it so much more seriously about um, making sure the players are taking it seriously, uh, making sure that they're willing to postpone games like out of caution rather than retroactively like, oh, this guy had it, so now we're going to postpone games. Like, it's just a more proactive approach to managing uh, the pandemic. And to me, it makes it makes me think pretty positively the season's going to complete. Um, obviously, the owners, Major League Baseball owners, really want that to happen, too. I actually think, I think we're actually past the point at which an incomplete season is, is possible. Likely. Yeah. Like, I think and, even if, if there was an outbreak tomorrow and they decided they couldn't play any more games... They would set the standing, the playoffs based on the standings today. That's a they possibility. They would shut everything yeah. down for two weeks and and do a bubble or something for the playoffs. Like there is, I, I can't see any possibility at this point. I think it's literally a zero percent chance at this point that we don't get division winners so, declared in a playoff happening. So that's all a way of saying I'm not as confident as Chad is, but um, that's all a way of saying that 
if you're playing for prizes, if you're playing for a trophy in your trophy case, if you're playing for bragging rights, uh, we're I think we're really close to a point where you can be confident that those things will be available to you um, at on September 28th or whatever when the season ends. Like, like this is that, and that's one of the things I've been talking about. And and you know I think uh, for me I'm I'm only I'm in two leagues, and in one league I'm in first place right now in League One. Uh, I'm in first place as of tonight, and um, I've been challenging myself a lot with the the question of is it worth buying this year? Uh, I have a farm, but it's pretty depleted. Uh, is it worth going for it? And also, like, how confident am I that um, I'm not going to have to send everyone's money back at the end of the season? Right? Like, am I going to actually gain the benefit of of buying? Um, I have, you know, and I think. I think what Chad said is 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 sort of the way I'm approaching it too. I, you're, you're gifted a month head start if you don't believe it, if you don't believe in your team, and if you do believe in your team, well, they did what you expected them to do, right? So now you have to go pounce on that, and it's a high variance year. But if you can be an aggressive buyer, you can really shut out a lot. You can shut out your opponents in a way that I don't know if is necessarily available to you in other seasons. I, I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, that's. That's tough for me. I mean, I think if if I was in that position where I was doing well in a league and I really wasn't sure that I should have been, that that I mean, maybe it was unexpected or I don't think my team is quite as good as its current standing position, I'm not sure I would be buying. I think I wouldn't be selling for sure, um, but I might be just holding and watching 48-hour auctions and, and trying to sort of improve on the back end of my roster, maybe make a couple small trades, but... I would. I'm not sure I would want to mortgage um, future value with a team that really is a house of cards. You know what I mean? Like, I get Chad's point, and yes, I, I agree that if anything, that that might be a good opportunity to Let's, leverage a hot start to turn it into something that was unexpected. But at the same time, even though Audenew should be a little more short-term focused than I think a lot of people approach it. At the same time, I I can't ignore that if I was a middle of the pack team going into this year, it doesn't all change just because I have a, a handful of these guys that have had hot starts and and I don't I don't want to leverage too much of my future value just to you know maybe take a better shot this year. But it I just I feel like we we're only halfway through a season right now less than halfway at the point that we're recording this but as of the trade deadline just about halfway through there's so much more that can happen um that but is there there's six starts for starting pitcher after the trade deadline like six or seven but but even if you're if you're 300 point let's say you're three or 400 points up in a points league or the equivalent in a roto um if you got if you're that if you have that big of a lead after a month and you don't think your team really is better than the first you know maybe one or two other teams in the league that you thought were going to be contenders they could absolutely have that same advantage over you the rest of the way and it's a wash like i mean i don't know i let's, just let's let's leave aside the 3 or 400 point lead like look at your rates right look at your point like i think that's one of the points we should be making here is in a points league don't look at the raw scores. Look at your points Correct. per inning, your points per game. Yep. See how you're doing there. If you have a legitimate advantage there right now, um, 
Like if if your team has better, been better than everyone else in the league, you are outscoring everyone on points per inning and points per game, and you think your team is a house of cards. Trade the guys that you think are a house of cards. That's true, right? Go, yeah, you, you don't care true. about them anyways. You've already if you if you really believe they're that bad that your team is going to fall apart in the second half of the season, trade them and trade yeah. them for guys who are actually good, and you're not mortgaging yeah. anything. You're right. giving. That's you're, a good you're, point. You're selling your high. Right. I just sell- I can't see any scenario where my team is pacing as a top two or three team right now where buying aggressively doesn't make sense unless my team is so much better than everyone else that I don't need to buy. If my team's a house of cards, trade those guys. Get rid of the guy like sell high. If you've been if you've been riding like Teoscar Hernandez and Dylan Moore and Trent Grisham and who else has had a really hot start that sort of came out of nowhere. Um Dylan Bundy. Like if these are the guys who are driving your team and you don't actually think any of them are good Lots of other people do, <laughs> so sell them. Like, and if you and if you're riding those guys and you think they are good, then don't trade them. Trade your prospects. Trade other guys. Take advantage of the fact that those guys are all putting it together at the same time, and and ride it to a title. Yeah, I mean, I. It's hard for me to argue too much with that. I mean, I, I, yeah. I do still think that I would be, I personally would be more hesitant. But but you're right. If if I'm leveraging. The, the exact sort of players that I expect not to continue that performance. And I, and I think I can trade them high um, and make real improvements um, while selling those players as future value assets that to, to the other owners in my league. Yeah. Okay. Then I would do that. Um, but I'm not trading uh Bo Bichette or a cheap Jordan Alvarez or, you know, some of those prime assets just to make a push this year, um, I, I would sort of want to play on the fringes a little bit more. Um, yeah, that I think makes is, sense. Is my I, biggest point. I think I'm I'm more willing to move prospects this year than I am. Yeah. Uh, sort of the surplusy prime, like the the Abobashet example or Adilson Lamet in in my example for for my team. Like I, I I'd be less willing to move major league talent, but but prospect talent, I think. I think this might be a good year to 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 really be aggressive with it. Honestly, I think we're uh, overstating at some point, at some level, the difference between this year and other years. Right. Like you're halfway through the season. Yes, that's less of the season that started than others. But like, no, I like would I trade Bo Bichette in a normal year right now? I don't know. Niv and I have talked a little bit about it. We have him in in Brinks, and we're we're looking at what we want to do with him. And we got an offer. We're sort of intrigued. We want to see what's going on. But like, would I trade him? Yeah, because I would always trade everybody if I got the right offer. Um, But am I like aggressively trying to shop him? No. Would I be if it were a normal season instead of this season? No. It'd be the same situation, right? Like, I I don't I don't think the, the the more I get to this point, I think to me. The, the dynamic in terms of trading is still there's a month left, which is always where we are when we hit the trade deadline. Right. There, that month can be more impactful than it has been in the past. Right. Instead of being a sixth of the season, it's half of the season. So I can actually, I'm actually getting like you're getting the same number of days or games or whatever you want to call it per player that you acquire right now, and those games are worth twice as much, three times as much. That's a good right? point. It's it, they're going to be. I guess they're worth 2.7 times as much, whatever the math is on this. Right. Like, 2.7 is right. Right. But like, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of looking at it as like, 
the guys I wouldn't trade in a normal year, I wouldn't trade this year. I might be a little bit more willing to trade um, prospects because I think some of the guys who are further off are going to not like. I don't know how to evaluate them, right? So I feel like much more in the dark about a. I I've got a uh, George Valera. Indians outfield prospect and a couple of rosters. I'm super high on him. He should have been hitting double A, maybe triple A this year. Um, he looked great in the Indians camp, uh, including hitting off of major league hitters or major league pitchers. Um, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing, right? I have no idea what he's doing in camp right now or in the alternate site. I don't have stats. So like, I'm a little right. bit more willing to trade guys like that just because I, I feel like I have less data. And so I'm going to be a little bit more, a little bit more willing to just move on from them. Um, but other than that, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think I started off with like, I need to take my time. I need to see what's going on here. And now I'm looking at my teams and I'm like, look, if I have a shot, I'm going to take my shot. And if I don't have a shot, I'm going to sell and I'm going to sell the same guys I would sell in a normal year. I'm going to buy with the same guys I would buy with in a normal year. I just don't think it's, I don't think it's that different. I think the biggest difference is you can actually impact the standings in a much more significant way in the last month of the season than you normally could. So when you, if you go out and you buy, you know, you trade someone who had a hot start, but you don't believe in for Christian Yelich or, you know, Bellinger or someone who you're pretty sure is going to turn it around. If those guys turn it around, they're worth way more to you than they would be in a normal season when you buy them. You're buying them today. Or you buy them on August 31st. It's the same as buying them on, you know, June. Yeah, I mean that's as, assuming right. Assuming a deadline. I mean, I think the other thing to note is that in a lot of situations in a lot of leagues, uh, the de facto deadline moves earlier and earlier because of how because of the dynamic of buying and selling. Right. So people are willing to make those moves sooner uh, if as a buyer in order to. Uh, juice your team for longer or whatever so yeah i feel like somewhat anecdotally in my leagues it tended to be like a memorial day sort of moving day memorial you know, day was sort first, of a decider if you like, know a, yeah. a first wave of really strong trades happening for those buyers and sellers um as early as memorial day but still memorial day in the past was nearly would nearly be the end of the season this year um you know, I, one thing I wanted to mention, this was this was a conversation that came up on Slack the other day, and it was in the trade review channel, and someone made a comment about their unwillingness to to sell a couple surplus assets for a win now move because this is sort of a season that would have an asterisk. If I'm gonna win a title this year, there's an asterisk. So I mean, Chad, everything you're saying, it sounds like it's 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 a it's a regular season in terms of how you care about whether you win or lose or, or compete or not. Um, I mean, I'm assuming you wouldn't you wouldn't attach any sort of asterisks if you if you won a, not if a, I a win. title this year, right? Okay. <laughs> I mean, and, I think I think also there's only one year you can win in a pandemic. Like this is like it's the best asterisk. It's yeah, it's like the most unique title that anyone is going to have. Hopefully. Uh, as long as it we was keep just, playing on the news, so I I agree. I I absolutely agree. I to me, it's not. I'm not going to say that that anybody that wins a title this year, it's any less impressive than any other auto new championship that you're going to win. Um, but I just thought it was an interesting comment. Now, 
some of that might, I, th- I think, was a little bit of trade craft where it's, you know. <laughs> it, it definitely helps. A you lot of things are said get... in negotiations that. <laughs> so so are, are we, not... I think I think we skipped over the questions you actually asked us, Justin, which is like uh, a higher level. Like we just immediately started talking about how do you decide if you want to buy or sell. And I think we could talk about that for 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 a week. <laughs> like that that conversation is the ever that's the ever evergreen tension of auto new that I think makes auto new so fun. Um, but, but I think like in terms of like, uh, engaging, um, uh, you know, I, I personally, I try to engage with as many teams as possible. Um, I don't try to, I, I think there's a difference between engaging in terms of having a conversation, which is what I try to do versus, uh, making a lot of trade offers. Uh, I don't think trade offers are necessarily a productive way of finding where you want to be. Uh, with a partner, I think a conversation helps you, and, and you know we're going to get into a little bit more about uh, about this stuff. But I think the conversation helps you be honest with yourself about what you're trying to accomplish, and honest with the other people about what you're trying to accomplish. And for me, uh, that's and this is an extremely like uh, personal uh, experience for myself, like how I deal with it. For me, this is how I get the best return. I think and. Chad, you've played with me the whole time I played Auto New. I think I do pretty well in the trade, in the trade sphere of things. Um, auctions are a different question, uh, but in the trade stuff, I think like uh, I yeah. Right? Did you just say Sabathia? I said Sean Figgins for CC Sabathia. That's, yeah. you, you do great in trades. I do great in trades, and I think uh, I, I do. I'm happy about my trade uh, strategy because I think um, you it allows you to work with multiple partners and. And build the relationships because I'm going to be trading with them again next year and the year after that and the year after that. And if you lose somebody, uh, it takes it takes a while to gain that trust back and train that gain that conversation back and like have them reach out to you. And, and you know, Chad alluded to a trade that went down uh, in, I think, 2009 or something like that before AutoNew was a, a, a service that was available to the general public in which I literally got a better trade offer than Chad it, gave up a worse player for prime CC Sabathia just because of the relationship I had built with a guy over a couple seasons. And that's not to say Chad was mean to me. I hear you, Niv. I get it. I get it. (laughs) But it's certainly not that, right? But it's just like... You can't take it back, Niv. (laughs) That little 2% edge is all it takes, right? And like that's... I think... I think actually, like in in League One, and I, I think this is probably true for you in all the leagues you play in, all two of the leagues you play in. <laughs> uh, you have you do have an advantage um, in that you're known and you know people, right? Like you're right. you're visible in the community. Um, in League One, you know there's there's a handful of guys that that I brought in, um, but most of the league is guys that you know or that you brought in. Um, and I've and met all so, the guys that you've brought in. So right, and 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 like when when we've gotten together for drafts, you've met you've met everybody over the years, right? And so, right. um, and you can't always recreate that, right? I think that's something that for like an average player in an average league, you can't just you can't be the guy who's developing auto new and therefore get a bunch of questions on the forums from people, and you can't necessarily meet everyone in person. But I think you can recreate that. Um, the important aspect of that, just by being proactive, talking to people, being friendly, don't be a jerk, don't be a troll. Like it's just going to ruin your ability yeah. to make trades. And like, I, it, to me, that's bad business. So like, what are you even doing, right? Like, being 
uh, a person who spams a bunch of trade offers if people don't like that. Being a person who sends like, uh, obviously there's a thin line between negotiation and being uh, really difficult. But being difficult, like it, it will burn you down the line, right? And people just keep long memories on that stuff. Like you just heard me and Chad talk about a trade that happened 11 years ago that he's still a little sour about. Like, and and with good reason, you know. Like I think um, so when we talk about uh, like the way I approach trades, like it's absolutely like try to be friendly to everybody from the beginning. Try to be reasonable. Try to understand what other people are trying to accomplish. Uh, know that if you cannot come to an agreement, it does not mean someone else. Uh, doesn't understand what they're doing or you don't understand what you're doing it's just literally you just can't come to an agreement sometimes um chad and i actually had a negotiation this year uh which resulted in chad selling to a different to a person i was competing with and and we came away from it and chad was like you can go and say like i made a bad trade i did and and there's not really any of that right like because at the end of the day chad did what was best for chad and and I understand at the end of the day, like why I wasn't able to meet the price that he was asking for, and and that's important because I mean obviously Chad and I aren't going to get any beef that we've had has already been evolved or whatever, but like <laughs> we're not going to get into a huge fight and never talk to each other again over a trade at this point in our relationship. But if you're a general auto new player, that is a thing that can happen, right? Yeah, you can get into I a fight, and 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 it can really ruin a league and ruin your ability to make trades in the future or make moves in the future. And, and to me that, that that's just like a huge mistake. That's a think, big gaping hole. I think that trade also is, is a good, that whole process is a good representation of how I like to trade. So I like to be really transparent. Um, the trade he's talking about, I had Francisco Lindor in league one. Um, Lindor's obviously off to a slow start and I was trying to sell him. My team hasn't been good. It was time to move on. Uh, and when I, when I started negotiations, um, I came from a perspective that I think he's a thirty, $40, $41, $38 Lindor or something like that. I came from the perspective that I thought of him as potentially a keeper. And I told everyone that. I told Niv that. I told the other guys I was talking to about that. And I got a lot of like, I don't, I don't think so. And so I went and looked closer at it. And I actually came away sort of like, okay, maybe he's not actually a, like, he, I, I thought of him as sort of like, a top two or three shortstop. He doesn't actually really project as a top two or three shortstop anymore. He's still sort of top five, but maybe not top two or three. Um, he plus the market was telling me nobody else thought he was a keeper. Okay, fine. So then I came down from my original ask from those guys, which was, you know, I, I'd asked for Dylan Carlson from the other owner. I'd asked for uh, Jared Kalenic from, from Niv. Like I was looking at top prospects. I came down a tier and was talking to Niv about Alec Bohm. I was talking to the other guy about Nolan Jones um, along with other pieces. And I basically was, I was super transparent with Niv about I'm talking to this other guy about Nolan Jones. I like Nolan Jones better than Bohm. We talked about it in our third base uh, episode way back before the season started that I'm, I'm really high on Nolan Jones, especially in on-base leagues. He's just an incredible on-base talent. I think he's a guy who could put up a huge on-base number and good enough slugging to be super valuable in 4x4. Four four. And so I ran into an issue where I was saying, Niv, the two prospects you're offering, one of them is a direct comparison to the other guy I'm going to get. And the other guy he was offering was Ian Anderson, who I'm just not a huge fan of. Anderson's a fine prospect. I don't. I, I would have been happy to acquire him, but I'm not a huge fan of him. The other guy was offering me Brian Reynolds, who's been cold this year, but was really good last year, and I'm still a fan of. And basically, what I came back to Niv was, I said, look, here's exactly the conversation I'm having with with Thad, with his his friend that he, he knows. And here's what he's got on the table. And I don't see how you can beat this without putting Kalenic back on the table, which is not to say that that's a fair offer. 
but that's what it's going to take. Right. And I tried it. Like, to me, that's a long way of saying, I feel like if I'm really transparent about it, Niv knows exactly where I'm coming from, which does two things. One, if and when I go with the other offer, he doesn't blindside by it. He doesn't understand what ha- like he, he gets it. I've explained it. The other is he has every opportunity to say, okay, I understand exactly what you're looking for. What about this guy? What if I throw this guy on the table, right? So like, I potentially get a better offer immediately if that you know if it goes that way. It didn't in this case. Um, yeah, bomb but- got called up in the middle of the negotiation, which was like the best part of it. Like, you went away, and then bomb, and which is one of the things that's happening this year, like. Because uh, the prospect situation and call-ups are just happening left and right, uh, just due to team need, um, like the the roster, like we were basically refreshing player news to figure out if it made sense to move Alec Baum, uh, him being called up, plus the fact that Chad had a preference for the other guy. But 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 you're totally right. Like their underlying point is correct, which is like, and that's the way I like to operate as well. Like really transparent. What are you trying to accomplish? What is the reason for your what you're trying to accomplish? For me, I'm very like, who? How am I going to hide that I'm starting Adalberto uh, Mondesi or Nick Ahmed at shortstop? I can't hide that. Like that's you see that on someone else's roster, and you know, yeah, there's a reason he's hitting me up about Frankie Lindor right now. You know, uh, so you, you you can't hide it. So you might as well just be open about it. This is what I'm trying to accomplish, and then the flip side of that. Uh, Chad has a feeling about what kind of pieces he wants for next year and he's open about it. And I think like what, what we did is we accomplished, I mean, Chad was able to sell and, and got the pieces he wanted, but we also were able to like have a better understanding of what can make a trade work between us as two parties in the future, which I think is, uh, again, you're playing with these guys year over year over year, uh, in, in theory and hopefully, right. And, um, as long as you're in a league with like a little bit of owner, owner turnover, you're going to have a lot of fun negotiating with the same people over and over and over again. And that there is, it's really interesting and really fun, but you have to be able to make it so you can negotiate with as many people as possible without uh, burning bridges here or there or making someone feel blindsided like you alluded to, Chad, or whatever. So that's the way I sort of approach that stuff. And it sounds like me and Chad are pretty aligned in how we approach that stuff. And, and I think the, the thing that I want to add in, in reinforcing all the points you're making right now, Niv, are some of those sort of negative reactions to trades, negative experiences with trades really can have an outsized impact on, on, on the health of a league, you know, and, and I think it's, it's best to always be on the side of fostering better communication to the other owners and teams in your league as as you said Niv being honest about well this is this is what the offer that I would take right now and this is what I would need from you to to increase it you Chad was open about that other offer he had so you weren't blindsided by the fact that he was going to go in a different direction I think all of that makes for a much healthier league in general and also Um, like you know other people are talking to other people right every conversation doesn't involve you in these leagues and um, Chad has to know that I'm talking to th- to my buddy Thad, who lives around the corner from me, and I've known since college, who I lived with in college. Like he has to know we're talking to each other because we're we're having a friendly rivalry about uh, both doing well in this league at the same time. But also, like you don't, I mean, you don't know how everyone else interacts in your league with each other, so you have to assume that that information is all it's all out there in somewhere or another. So the more you can be honest about it, the more you can be like 
sort of in control of understanding what everyone knows. Yeah, well, part of that, part of the point of that, honestly, like I said, the, the two people I was talking to talking to about Lindor, other than Niv, are two of Niv's like four best friends from college who I only know because of Niv. Um, and so as soon as I started talking to them, like, I, I don't know how much they're going to talk to each other, but I have to assume, like you said, that anything's going to get back to them. That's part of the reason I prefer just being transparent and being open. But as part of that, you have to be honest, right? Yeah. If you start lying, if I start saying like, well, Thad put, you know, Carlson and Jones and six other players on the table. So you're going to have to beat that. And then Niv's having drinks with that or yeah, I mean, like drinks, it falls Zoom apart so quickly. Yeah. Right. He's going to be like, that's not actually on the table. And uh, it's like, there's just, or, no you know, to do that. And, and also like, it, it, just to bring it to like a place where we all know each other personally. So great. You may not have that experience in your league, but there's Slack. There are the forums. There are direct messages on the site. There are a million ways for people to talk to each other. Um, and they should, and everyone should, because that was that I think is what makes the game makes the game fun. I've said it a billion times. Like Auto New is a relationships game. When we come to this part of the game, like when you're coming to trades, there's certainly a huge aspect of it that's player evaluation and uh, budget and budgeting and thinking about that. But it's really it's a relationships game if you want to get yourself over the edge with the trade. And and this is what I think. This is this is the moment where you guys can leverage that and really like lean into that. And just just to add another point to that, um, to me, in in a general sense, the other thing that I think that I would recommend that everybody do is trade should be mutually beneficial, right? And and even if you're getting the better short term end and they're getting the better long, like it ha if you're making offers, they need to make sense for both for both teams. You need to take a little bit of time and a little bit of care to, to see what that other owner has on their trade block, to look at what the weaknesses and strengths are on their roster. Don't offer them a first baseman. If they've already got two, you, you they can't use them, you know, and you're just hitting a, a, a stop in a, in a, in a dead end right at the beginning of the, of, of the negotiations. And, and sometimes that can get things off on the wrong foot too. So I think, the biggest thing is to stop viewing trades as a, a case of you're you're trying to play got them. You know, you're trying to win a trade. You're trying to to catch somebody in, yeah. in making a mistake. I mean, that's it's just a very sort of negative and destructive way to to make trades. Yeah, you're going to make trades that work out well for you. You're going to make trades that don't work out well for you. But if as long as it's from a perspective of I'm trying to help you for what your team needs are, and you're trying to help me for what my team needs are, we can come to an agreement. And then that fosters, as Niv said, you're fostering a relationship in the future for that for that team and that owner as well. Um, and that's important because you don't want to be the guy in the league that nobody wants to make a, even open a negotiation with because they know you're just going to have a crazy ask right from the beginning. You know, I, you're, you're $10 outfielder. I want your top four prospects. And like, no, I'm, we, we, where do we even go from that point in the conversation, there's, there's not even a next step there. Um, you know, yeah. And you, yes, you don't want to just give away everything and, and take, you know, discounts on all your players and make bad trades, but there's a difference between doing the best you can for your, the sake of your own team and being manipulative and being aggressive and being almost insulting sometimes. Cause sometimes you know, there are owners that take these things really personally, and I, I don't think they should. I think as much as I've played Audenew and as many years that I've played, 
with as many teams as I've had, that's taken, you know, that's taken me some time to learn, to not take it personally, to not get upset when I see a trade hit. I get an email in my inbox that says that my, my rival just made a big trade, you know, to not (laughs) get upset about that because, you know, that's going to happen and you just need to, to move forward. So, um, you should be upset because you should be making another trade, but you shouldn't be upset in a take it personally. And that was a horrible deal. And what were you even thinking? Right. Like those are such a different, um, And and I think that's a healthier perspective for everybody, right? Like it's, it's just a better, uh, for, for, in terms of your sanity, <laughs> yeah. some people you're, get you're, really worked up about it. Your, your point about it being, you know, trade should be mutually beneficial and you need to take time to see what the other team wants. I think w- one note on that is that that goes both ways, which is you need to be, you need to be willing to tell people what you're looking for and what you're interested in. I think like I made a trade earlier this year in league 13 with, uh, to get Clayton Kershaw from, from, uh, someone I know on Slack, uh, and he and I are talking trade again. It came up because he added uh, Teoscar, uh, Teoscar Hernandez to his trade block. Um, and he's selling. So I was like, that's weird. Why would you put him out there? I'm just trying to understand what you're doing. And he was saying, well, I'm starting to see that like he was selling Starling Marte, for example. And he was like, I'm not sure that I'm going to get like, I'm not sure people are super excited to give up future value for Marte. So I thought maybe there's like a Marte plus Teoscar that offsets some of the future value you're giving up. Like maybe we can find a way to balance that. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. I'm sort of intrigued by that. Um, let's talk. He came back to me with a message earlier today that said just a quick comprehensive list of players I'd trade for. And he literally listed the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten, twelve, thirteen players on my roster that he's interested in. Like, I know who he's selling because he's got them on the trade block. I now know who on my team he's interested in. He knows who on his team I'm interested in. We can just figure out which of those guys we want to swap, right? Like, there's a way to to work with that and, and have this sort of starting point of like, okay, I know he wants to end up with some of these guys. He knows I want to end up with some of those guys. Is there a match there? Now, he, he is also, and, and this happens to me, I totally understand where he's coming from, right? He put guys like, you know, Nick Cassianos, Joey Gallo, Christian Yelich on that list, who, like, I'm trying to win this year. <laughs> I'm not, like, I can't really move those guys right now. Um, but there's also, like, Dylan Carlson, Nolan Jones, um, Zach Wheeler, you know, I've got I've got Spencer Howard, who I really like, but hasn't been doing a whole lot for me right now. So, like, there are some guys in that list that I probably can figure out how to make something work. Um, and it gives us a starting point. And I think one of the things I, I struggle with is, like, I've got a, another conversation going on in another, another league right now where someone asked about two guys that I have in my block. I came back with a list of seven guys on his team or eight guys on his team I was interested in. He sort of didn't say anything. I came back with a specific offer, and he's like, well, that seems like way too much. It's like, all right, but I. So then you're not having a you back thinking, and forth, right? Then. Tell me what. Tell me what where your head is, because I feel like I asked for, like, two to three decent but non-elite prospects for two valuable players, including one who's probably a keeper long term, um, at least for another year, I guess. Um, I didn't think it was that unfair an offer. I, I'm fine negotiating around it. I just you got to give me something back. Right. And I started with these are the guys you want. Here are the guys I want. Like I'm I'm coming from a like this is a mutually beneficial place, like Justin was saying, but I it can only go so far if I don't get enough feedback to know what to do. Um right. and I think that's something that really frustrates me when I'm making trades is like don't just tell me you don't like the offer. 
Tell me what you don't like. Tell me what, you know, and if it's so far off that you're like, I don't want to continue this, say this offer is so far off that I don't want to continue negotiations. Um, I had a, in another league I was in, I started off this year. Um, it's not, it's, it's not an auto new league. I apologize, Niv. Um, but I have a, I had a $21, uh, $21 $21 Josh Donaldson. The economics are actually not that different. It's it's 25-man rosters, $260 caps. So there's some similarities there. $21 Josh Donaldson someone inquired on. I asked for his $5 Colin Moran and $1 Trent Grisham. And he was like, no, I'm not giving you both of them. And I was like, well, I'm not willing to move Donaldson for a lot less if you want to swap one of them out for someone. And it basically sat there for like two weeks. But we were both very clear with each other. And he came back to me earlier this week and was like, Look, I know Donaldson's been on the shelf. I'm still interested in him. If you would choose one of Moran or Grisham, right? If you're, you're able to like come evolve. Down. You're able to evolve the conversation. Right. And I think like the other thing to remember uh, in auto new leagues is that uh, no one has a crystal ball, and so you don't know if a trade's unfair. You know, I know a lot of people think that they know that a trade is going to be unfair down the line, and uh, it just. There's too much. There's too much uh, variance. There's you're you're everyone's using their best information, obviously, and you want to do the best you can, like Justin said, but it's a unique format, and you shouldn't think that you necessarily know that this prospect's not going to hit. So what's the point of making of trading for him? Or you, this guy's definitely going to break out. So what are you thinking? Like, there's just a lot. Uh, there's so much uh, fluidity in how these valuations can differ from. Uh, owner to owner, GM to GM, uh, that that you know you will come to places where a conversation just cannot continue because you guys are in different places about a value. But maybe you can suss out why you guys differ on a valuation of uh, of a player. Like, why do I think this guy is worth more than 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 Chad does, or Chad thinks this guy's worth more than I do? And and it can help you again understand how to make a trade in the future because. At the end of the day, like, yeah, it's a trade deadline coming up in uh, 13 days or whatever from now. But uh, I have like, I have 10 more trade deadlines with these guys at least, you know. So um, I just want to be able to continue to to be able to work with them. And taking Chad's example, where he's talking about making an offer that he he thinks is fair, and he's getting a response that no, I'm I'm not. You know, this isn't close, but he's not getting any more any more information about why. I think in my experience, a lot of times what happens there is that it's not that Chad made an unreasonable offer. It's not that the other owner isn't willing to make a deal. It's that because owners have different evaluations on players that Chad asked for A and B. He actually prefers C and D, but if but C and D, the other owner thinks are worse than A and B. So, you know, sometimes, and that's why making, and, and I do a lot of what, very similar to what Chad said, where I, I basically provide a list. This is what I'm interested in. Here's the six guys that I would want to acquire because they're a fit for my team. Here's seven or eight guys that I'm willing to move because they're either expendable based on my roster or... I think the market is higher on them than I am. So they're sell candidates for me. The bigger that list and the more honest you are about that list, both who you want and who you're willing to give up. You know, if, if both teams are comparing those lists to each other, you're going to find somebody on their list that you covet, but they don't. And it's going to make those trades a lot easier to, 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 to execute. 
Yeah. Um, Along those lines, one of those things I re- one of the things I really like to do when I'm when I'm getting close on a trade, right? When a trade's almost going to happen, is to say something like, "All right, it sounds like we're you know using the example of the the Lindor trade I made in League One, saying, okay, it sounds like we're getting pretty close to feeling good about Nolan Jones and Brian Reynolds for Lindor. Just so you know, these three guys I actually like more than Reynolds. So if you want to swap one of them in, that's good with me, right? And it doesn't happen often because more often than not, if I like those guys more, the other person does too, or we've already agreed on a trade and no one wants to mess with it. But every once in a while, I'll get someone who comes back. It's like, no, I agree. Take this guy instead of Reynolds or take this guy instead of that guy. And it's like, all right, we've now just made the deal better for both of us, right? right. I've upgraded and- what I'm getting because I wouldn't have put the guy on the list and said, I'll swap him out unless I preferred him. Right. And people the other have a owner- better, a more positive perception of the exchange right. just happened. We just and- swapped and- out a guy that made the deal less expensive for him and more valuable for me. Like that's, that's a win-win. Right. And, and making some component and, and that's, if you make those sort of components open-ended where your choice, you don't pick any of these two guys or three guys you feel they're all comparable, but if they have a strong preference for one of those, they're going to be a lot happier with that deal. And, and, and that's, you know, that could be the, the edge you need to, to make that deal from a conversation to something that's actually been accepted on the site. Um, I, I think those things are critical. Being able to just be honest about what you prefer, give them some options, let them have some agency in here, pick one of these three guys. I don't care which one you pick or offer one of these three uh, I'll take any of them. And then they're always going to pick the one they are least, you know, they, they would least prefer. So they're, they feel like they got a better end of it than they otherwise would, because you gave them that option. You gave them that choice. Um, so I think trying, trying to summarize a little bit of what we're, what we've said so far, like be open, be transparent. I don't think we've said it specifically, but, uh, use your trade block. That's the easiest way to be open and transparent is like, Here's what I need. Here's a bunch of guys I'm willing to trade, um, and and be honest. Like, don't try to trick people. Don't go for a gotcha. Don't try to win. Like, figure out what's going to make your team better, whether that means better today or better in the future. What's going to make your team better, and make a trade that does that. And the best way to do that is by also making it make the other person's team better, right? In, in terms of again, they may you may be thinking future, they're thinking today, or vice versa. But like try to go down that path. And then and then the last thing I think to summarize from that is um, this is not the last trade talk you're going to have with this other manager, most likely. And so while you might feel good about getting you know, $5 for your quarter, uh, if they feel like you took advantage of them and weren't honest with them, um, they're going to remember that. And then you're going to not be able to get the, the dollar for dollar trade you should be making a year from now. Um, and you know, it can, it can interfere with a lot. So I think those are the big things in terms of general trading strategy for me. And and I think we, we sort of alluded to this as well. Um, it's not just being honest with your trade partner. It's being honest with yourself as well. Like what, where is your team? Where are they really at? This year is a little harder than another years, but in general, um, you know, I want to know, am I really a contender? Am I really out of it. You know, it can be the other way around too. There, there've been years where I've sold and then my team got hot and it's like, man, if I hadn't sold, what, what could have been? Um, and sometimes that's just going to happen and you can't really regret. You have to make a decision and just, and just live with it. But, um, I think it's very important to look at your standings, see, am I in first place because I've thrown 50 more innings than anybody else? 
you have to account for that fact. Or have, are you running way above the, the game caps and outfield and utility or wherever? Um, and that's why you're running a higher points total in a points league or in Roto, your rate, your rate stats are, um, you know, they're high because you just haven't filled all your games, but you expect them to, to get worse as you have to catch up a little bit or, or vice versa. Your bulk stats are really, really good because you have so many more games played or innings pitched than, than the other teams. Um, so taking a critical look at your standings. Also, you know, I'm going to plug it, the, the surplus calculator, if you want to look at you know, rest of season projections or even the preseason projections to say, well, how good was my team projected to be to come into the season? And yes, what's happened so far this year, even if it contradicts what what it, you thought things were going to look like in the preseason based on projections, sometimes you have to go with what, what has happened rather than the make-believe world that existed just on a spreadsheet. Um, but it does also inform maybe what the expectations for that team should have been. And I think in this particular season, that's even more important. One month into this season, I'm not putting a whole lot of stock in a hot start. Even at a team-wide level, I still want to take a strong look at what these teams are projected to do going forward. Um, and, and and I, you know, because if I'm projected to be in sixth place, but I'm already in second, like I said earlier, I don't know that I'm buying. I, I think I'm holding. And I still think like if you're projected to be in sixth and you're in second right now and you end up in sixth for the second half of the season, you're going to end up in third and fourth, third or fourth overall. And if you go out and buy a Yelich or a Bellinger, or if you need pitching, you go out and buy a Scherzer or someone that could be the difference between being in third or fourth or, or staying up there. So I just, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I agree. If you're, if you're in second and you project to be in 12th, and you're looking at your team and you're like, this is, there's nothing good here. Right. It's, and this it's, is I all going to fall apart. Fine. I think it's, 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 it's really about, I think what Justin says is right about being honest. If, if you can say, I should be in sixth, but I am in second, but that's because my pitching feels a little empty, go out and get a pitcher, right? Like, my pitching has been a little bit lucky so far, and I don't really think it's, I think it's going to regress a little bit. If you're able to like distinguish, like I really need a shortstop. I'm running uh, Modesty out there every week, like like I am, or you know I really need um, a starting pitcher because I have Strasburg uh, again, like me. So uh, Chad, if you have any pitchers, um, but yeah, but, but like you, if you you have to be able to evaluate what you need. Um, but I really, I really think uh, if you can say. I've had a hot start from these these guys, um, but if I, I think this is a year where you can acquire a replacement that can continue that, that can say like uh, maybe this is a more sustainable production from this new guy that I got that I bought, um, either like say it's a superstar outfielder, say it's a first baseman, say it's a, a pitcher, or whatever. Um, you can, what has happened is concrete, right? And so like. It is a little bit of what we were talking about with the rest of season stuff uh, in the previous episode, right, Justin? Like, there is, yes, it's absurd that it, you cannot sit here and tell me that uh, Charlie Blackman or whatever, I think that was Charlie Blackman that had the 50 point jump in Babbitt, which is a, that doesn't jump like that. That's not a thing that's controllable in that kind of level. If you're looking at your team and you're like, well, uh, it, this was going to require an outside and outlier, like, 
six sigma like ridiculous differential from the mean performance to continue and sustain yeah be a little skeptical maybe don't buy maybe hold but but if you're looking at your team and you're like well i already have booked these really good starts from these guys who maybe shouldn't have been this good or you know i got eight homers from a guy who i maybe i can't expect another 10 from him the rest of the way uh, you might be able to buy a replacement that can give you those 10 homers that can sustain the production that you got from the hot start. That's the way I would think about it. And again, I would just say, like, if again, if you're if you're in first or second now and you think your team is more a middle-of-the-pack team, you could be a middle-of-the-pack team in the second half and still end up in the top three, right? Because you've got that head start on everyone else. The other thing to keep in mind is that if you're in second and you think you should be in sixth, there's somebody out there who maybe should be in second who's actually in sixth or seventh. And if you buy from them, you not only potentially fill that hole and make your team better, but that te- like you don't fall from second to sixth without somebody passing you. And the teams that have to pass you are making having the same difficult decision to make right now. And a lot of them are sitting here thinking, yeah, I mean, I think I've got the best team, but I'm in eighth right now. And so even if I'm best in the second half, what am I doing? Fighting for fourth? I'm not interested in that. Maybe and, they are, but and, if they're and, not, like I just I, I think it's uh I think it's a mistake at this point to to miss the opportunity to capitalize on a hot start in the only season you will ever have where a one month hot start will matter. Right? Because if this were if this is next year and your team does the same thing in April and it's red hot in April and then falls off the map, it you got you got five months to to fall back. You don't have that this time. You've you've just like this is the same thing in, in terms of the value you've banked as having a red hot April, May, and June. Take advantage. Yeah. The other thing I'm wondering about is, you know, we we might think that a month into the season, a certain player is going to turn back into a pumpkin, um, but there's only a month to go. So even if they fall, their end of season line is going to look pretty damn good. And I wonder what effect that has on off-season trading. Um, I know that's not what we're talking about tonight, but you know, maybe your Jake Cronenworths and your, you know, Kyle Seegers or whoever, maybe they have more value than they otherwise should just because they're not going to fall back far enough quickly enough because there's just not enough time for them to do that. Even if you presume that they're going to, um, Because what, there's just not that much time left. I mean, like Cronenworth and Seeger and like some of those guys are going to fall back enough quickly enough. And the yeah, end yeah. of the year maybe, is going to be Maybe ugly. they will. But I'm just saying like if we were having this discussion last year, a month into the season, we would be talking about who's had a hot start. How many of these aren't going to continue? Three quarters of them aren't going to continue. And by the end of the year, we'd forget that those guys even had a hot start. You're not going to forget that this year because you're already halfway through the season. Yeah, I'm pulling so that up ho- the leaderboard on Fangraphs right now for the month of March, April last year, sorted by Woba. Uh, there are a lot of the usual suspects at the top: Bellinger, Yelich. Third is Hunter Dozier, um, who obviously did have a good year last year, but not a 4.58 Woba the rest of the way. Then you got Gallo and Trout. Then Wilson Contreras, who fell off quite a bit after that. Elvis Andrews was seventh a yeah, month in the season last year. Um, Paul DeJong was 10th. He he was still good. But interestingly, uh, Brian Goodwin, who's had a really good month to start this year, was 13th a month into last season. 
Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe I should be concerned about that as someone who has them on <laughs> roster in a couple places. Um, although, but interestingly, as you go down this list, I'm looking. I, I would have expected more names like that to pop up. But if, as I look at the top thirty, um, Tim Anderson, Trey Mancini, Pete Alonso, Reese Hoskins, Shinsu Chu, Jeff McNeil. Christian Walker maybe falls into that camp of a guy who fell off. Yeah. Uh, Jorge Polanco, Yandy Diaz probably belongs in that list of guys who fell off. Nelson Cruz, Jock Peterson, Yohan Mankata, Freddie Freeman, Matt Chapman. Uh, Jason Alex Hayward Gordon. was 24th. Alex Gordon was 25th. So you got a few of those guys. But there's also, interestingly, like there may actually be more guys in that list as I look at this. It's like if you're really in the top 10 right now, top 15 right now, there aren't really guys in the list other than Andrews who fell off the map. So now it makes me want to look at the list now and say, like, who's up that high now? Because a month in. Interesting. I want to touch on something Chad said a little bit and talk about auto new dynamics a little bit because uh, Chad mentioned something about um, about uh, looking at teams that may be underperforming and 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 targeting them to buy from them so that they continue to stay lower in the standings than you and don't give them an opportunity to jump over you. Uh, one of the more effective trade strategies that has worked in League One every year is a guy who takes advantage of the fact that it is more fun to sell than buy in auto new, uh, especially if you're really into prospects and you're really into like future value and having something really exciting to look forward to next year. You might be sitting in sixth and think there's no way I'm going to move up, and uh, then you sell, right? You're sitting in seventh, and we have one guy in our league who consistently sits fifth, sixth, seventh, and is like, I got a bunch of guys in single A, double A that are right around the time that the prospect lists come out, like the revamped ones. They all have jumped up into being top 50. They're not top, top prospects, but they're top 50, and guess what? A lot of you are programmed in your brain to be more excited about acquiring those kinds of players than about competing and competing in a way that's not 100% sustainable because you're going over budget and you're not going to be able to keep all those guys and keep the team together next year. It's more exciting in a sense to, um, and I think there's an opportunity there. Like, I think there's just a general, uh, generally across Auto New, across like all the leagues, more people want to sell than buy and that sort of makes sense but it doesn't make sense the ratio that it happens and i think that is a there's an opportunity there when you're when you're evaluating your team to think like most people it seems to come come to us with and you know we're going to look at a couple teams i think in the next episode a lot of people come to us with the idea of like i'm really hesitant to buy and you know i even i even mentioned that myself in this episode but but I think that's like a, a, sh- a, a shortcoming in a sense. Like it's, you want to be sort of, I want someone to tell me it's okay to not buy or to hold on to these fun prospects that I have for the future. And because it's fun, like that's a very fun thing that is unique to auto new to be able to keep those guys for the future. But um, I think, you know, if you're a, if you're a savvy owner, you can take advantage of that every single year. Um, you can acquire the right players in the auction draft and in, March and roster them until the first baseball America midseason top 100 and turn that around into a buying situation where you're sitting sixth pretty sustainably in sixth and you sneak into the top three just because you were the only person willing to buy. Yeah. And, and I, go ahead. 
what what I was going to say is I think that um, that is very important if you look at uh, from a from a league by league perspective where maybe you're in a league where where there is a lot of that where everyone is just prospect hounding and you have a lot of teams that are selling that is an opportunity to zig when the rest of the league is is zagging and and maybe maybe you hold when you otherwise would sell or you buy when you might think that otherwise you should sell because the value is just there right if i'm in a league where top prospects don't even like nobody's even going to trade kalanick for trout one for one okay then it changes what i'm willing to do because the price isn't the same in every league, right? I mean, it's just you do. It's a different mix of owners, a different dynamic of everything, um, and and I want to be as keyed into that as I can be. Um, I think the other thing that I wanted to mention was you don't have to pigeonhole yourself into a position where okay, I'm buying or I'm selling. You can creatively do both, either within the same deal, like Chad was saying with that Teoscar Hernandez example, where. Normally, that's a player that a team that is selling wouldn't want to sell because that's a keeper. But you can creatively add players that you're rebuilding and you can add a prospect on your end to get a better prospect Um, or vice versa. As a buying team, you can acquire a veteran and then get a kick in of a prospect that you can use later for another another deal Um, or you can sell now. And then in 10 days, maybe you think you can get a better price for that player than you purchased them for today. Um, and you have a little bit of an arbitrage possibility. Yeah, there. I'm actually I'm looking at something that in, in League One right now a little bit where um, I'm going to give stuff away to Niv here. But uh, another of, of Niv's college buddies, it's league is loaded with Niv's college buddies, uh, posted a $23 Blake Snell, a $36 Cody Bellinger, and a handful of other pieces that he's, he's looking to trade on the block. I'm selling in that league. I'm, I am definitely selling in that league. My team has been bad. Um, I'm sort of intrigued to see if I can buy those guys. Um, I think they're both keepers at those prices. I could be wrong. Um, I think we've I think we've actually talked him off of trading Blake Snell. I think he got too much interest. Oh well, we'll find <laughs> out. But uh, but my, but my point was like I was sort of looking. It's like Snell's been fine, but is still building up arm strength. Bellinger's been terrible. So are the teams that are actually buying going to be hesitant enough on those two guys that maybe I can sneak in, buy them at a lower price than I think maybe I should be able to, and then. One of two things: either there's still you know 12 days left, and maybe in the next 12 days, Snell throws a complete game shutout, and Bellinger hits eight home runs, and I can sell them for even more than I traded them for, like you were saying, Justin. Or I sit on them, and if they you know they're don't keepers. turn around in the second half, then they're, maybe they're I've got keepers. a decision making the offseason right. But if they do, great. So I I don't know. I, I just I think being opportunistic is is sort of the name of the game, like. You shouldn't sit there and say like, oh, I'm a seller, therefore I'm not interested in this expensive guy. You should say, would this guy make my team better? <laughs> and right. The answer is yes. And, you should try to trade for him. And, and and similarly, you know, if you're a seller, you shouldn't only be interested in minor league prospects, guys in A ball. You know, there are other paths to future value. Um, than just, you know, acquiring as many prospects in the lower levels as you can. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's a younger major league player, 
um, who's going to give you some production now and has more chance, especially in a year like this, has more chances to break out than uh, a player that's not even going to play this year. Um, you know, and I think the other thing is that you you have to be very mindful of what you're replacing when you're making a trade, the opportunity cost in that, and and how scarce some of these assets really are. If you're making a trade and you're trading a stud for a couple 50 to 75th overall prospects, those types of guys are usually generally available in leagues overall. You could just add them. (laughs) The number of times I see people trade quality studs for guys that were freely available two weeks before, or a similar player is freely available right then and there, um, you know, it, take that time to say, well, is this really improving what I already have as, as options available to me without having to trade an asset? And I just have to use cap space or a roster spot. Um, you know, and, and circling back on the Bellinger point, I think buying low on underperforming studs is is a huge opportunity this year because you can feel pretty confident that those guys are going to turn it around and this might be the best opportunity to acquire some of those players. I'd be all over a Bellinger or a Blake Snell or, you know, because they're going to be better and their owner might be more willing to sell them than they otherwise would um, because of that poor performance. And, yeah, and I they're wonder, looking for improvements that maybe that improvement is a mirage. You can you can sell them on wish cash them on on someone who's who's been better this year and cheaper, um, and they feel like they're getting both ends of the deal. But really, they're selling the prime asset, and you're you're acquiring it at a discount. Right, and I wonder, like, is sort of again talking a little bit about um, talking a little bit about. Uh, the off-season trades instead of this trade deadline in-season stuff. But I wonder if there is, like, projections, how much are projections going to incorporate a 60-game season? Like, we talked about this a little bit with the rest of the season stuff last year, oh, last week, last episode. Uh, you know, Tatis jumped way up because this was a big percentage of his overall major league career, we were speculating. But uh, when we talk about a Bellinger who, you know, hasn't hit yet and, you know... He, gut feeling i don't think you're going to find a lot of people out there who are going to say he's never going to hit again uh and and you know if you acquire a piece like that and you're looking at even if he doesn't bounce back this year you still might be looking at positive projections going into um 2021 and surplus that you can you know market or trade or do whatever you want to build around uh into 2021 so so i think that's but you know this is this is definitely a unique season in that sense that you can maybe get talent you wouldn't normally be able to yeah so i think that there's a couple of last sort of quick points i want to make and i think we're sort of getting towards the the end here but um one of those is if you're trading for pitchers if you're buying pitchers and you're competing um watch when they're starting uh for two reasons one is you don't want to accept a trade 12 hours before the pitcher takes the mound um, pitchers get hurt way too often. Um, the other and is, miss, and you, and you miss that start. Right? What, right. The other is you miss that start. Like if you know, a guy is starting on Thursday and you've started a trade talk on Tuesday and you have 24 hour trades in your league, 
wrap it up by Wednesday or back off for a few days, like wait and see what happens, see what else is out there. A lot can change in those those few days um, between starts, and you lose a lot of value if you miss a start. Um, you know, if a pitcher's going to get six, seven starts left, you're losing 10, 15% of their value. Um, 15, 20% of their value, whatever it is right off the top. Um, the other thing is, and, and Niv, you had made a point in our, our notes about not packaging assets when you trade. And I think this is an interesting one for me because I totally get what you're saying, which is, you know, if you package three studs in an attempt to get, uh, you know, a trade to one team, there's only so much value that one team can give you. And if you've got a lot of holes, you're often better off, you know, keeping them separate. I think the one counterpoint to that is, um, if you can get a truly great value, sometimes it's worth it. And I think Niv is, is an example on this. Um, in in Brinks, we got a trade offer the other day of, and I'm going to just out, I think it was Jed who made the offer, so I'm just going to out Jed on this. He wants our $12 Bo Bichette. He was trying to capitalize on Bichette having just gotten hurt, and maybe we would you know make a move quickly, and offered us um, expensive guys, uh, Lindor, Judge, and Springer. Now, Lindor's been struggling, Springer's been struggling, and Judge is hurt, and so it's not necessarily ideal. But if you're Jed, and if you're selling, and if you can move those three guys in a single deal for a for Bichette, and you really believe Bichette, I mean, Bichette has been eight points per game over the 60 games of his career. If you believe in that, that is a way, way better deal for you than splitting those three guys up and getting three even top 20 prospects you know, one for each of them. Like, so I, I tend to agree because now we also turned that deal down <laughs> pretty quickly. So yeah, I, well, I, I think that it's, I think what, what Niv's saying is generally right. Because I think generally what's going to happen is you're going to package those three guys and you're going to get like one top 10 prospect instead of three top 20 prospects. And I don't think that's a good use of resources. I also think but, like, you know, the other thing is that your team stinks. Like there's a reason you're selling, right? Like your team isn't, doing what you want it to do in terms of performing in the league. So if you're being honest about what you need, you need more than one player. Uh, eight point, like, And this is sort of a classic conversation we have about surplus value and future value compared to future production, um, right? And I think, you know, obviously you want to have surplus going into an auction draft because then it allows you to acquire players that may be a little bit above market or allows you to have a little bit more flexibility. But at some point, you have to recognize, I need more than just Bo Bichette to fix my team. And if I have, a, 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 again, Jed, I'm not picking on you. I don't want anyone to think we're picking on Jed here. It was, it was just a good example because it's, it's, it's sort of a stark example of how Jed and I can disagree on this kind of thing. I think if you have an Aaron Judge who very hot start before he got hurt, Springer who can't hit right now and maybe misses his trash can, I don't know. And uh, Frankie Lindor, who I think falls in that Bellinger camp of like, I don't think anybody thinks he's never going to hit again. And, and frankly, Springer, too. I don't, Springer is not hitting. It's well beyond missing a trash can, right? He's hitting horribly. It's, it's, so you have to believe those guys are going to come back. Um, you might be selling a little low right now just because of uh, where they all are. But at the same time, like you packaging all three of those up, you're only getting one or two guys back, or you're only getting one team's worth of su- surplus back. If you have four or five buyers in that league that are looking to buy, and this year I think there will be probably a few more buyers than there are in years past just because of the vo- the volatility of the standings right now, um, you're just you're shortchanging on the total max amount of surplus you can take in, the total max amount of assets you can take in. 
Now, uh, now I think like the, the 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 distinction that Chad and I just drew there, like Chad thought that was a, a smart move by Jed, and I, I think you know I wouldn't package those assets together. I think there's like room to disagree there, and I understand where Jed was coming from, and you know I think there's a, a good point to be made, especially when you're trying to acquire a player that could be as exciting as Bobichet going forward. But at the same time, the way I look at it when I'm trying to sell, um, I don't want to group a, a lot of players together because I just really want I want to have five buyers. I want to be able to spread it out so that four or five teams are being competitive and th maybe they'll come back to me for a secondary piece down the line. Uh, if I sell my three stars who I was banking on, none of them are keepers, to three different teams, maybe that third place team catches up enough that they come back to me and be like, hey, this... This middling starting pitcher that you have that, you know, I didn't think there was value for before. I really need a couple more starts down the stretch. So I'm going to talk to you about that. And maybe he wouldn't have been in that position if he didn't get Bryce Harper from me earlier. Right. So to me, you want to keep as many if you're in the selling position, you want to have as many buyers in that market as possible, because that just makes your stuff. The guys that you aren't going to keep necessarily uh, more of an asset. So that's the way I'd approach it, though. I mean, I totally understand uh, trying to acquire something that it can be a centerpiece for your team for 10 years. Or, I mean, not 10 years, but like four or five years, like a $12 Boba Shet or whatever. So, you know, you have to think about those things and figure out how it works. But if your lead dynamic is such that there are three or four people looking to buy this year because it's a volatile year and you're trying to sneak in a win or sneak in a, a money finish, make, make as many of those people believers as you can for as long as you can because you might be able to trade more pieces to them than you realize I don't know is that is that the stopping point uh, <laughs> I, maybe it is sorry I was muted um, before we wrap up this episode I want to I want to bring something up real quick so if I'm understanding Chad correctly he wants to be aggressive in situations where he thinks he can he can do well this year. And he also thinks that targeting a team that's above him in the standings or maybe that should be above him in the standings is a good idea. So do I do I think I might need to throw some offers your way in Brinks then? Or, or would you be buying in Brinks? And, and Sounds I, like we just offered Justin some trades. <laughs> I may or may not have a, a pending trade like that I'm, I'm hashing out while you guys were talking there in Brinks with, with your team. So... I think uh, we we should talk about it for sure. I think the last <laughs> I looked at Brinks, I don't think from a rate standpoint, we were just quite be, as high as our standings. Just to be clear, uh, Justin is in fourth in that league in 649, yeah. and uh, the team Chad and I co-own, co-manage, is in fifth. And uh, we're catching Justin, but we're still a good 100 points behind. Well, you could be even more than that if you if you make a big buy trade. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Well. The other, the other interesting dynamic in that league is the coupons, right? So that league has you get you get some discounts on your arbitration that hits your team depending on where you finish. And so, if we don't think we can get all the way up to first, finishing in like fourth or fifth, I think is sort of the place absolute, to be. And so we're sort of sitting in a pretty spot right now. And so I'm yep. <laughs> I'm a little I don't know I'm hesitant to to rock the boat too much, but we'll see. We should certainly have a conversation about it. Maybe well, that could be a podcast episode. Yeah, live negotiating detail. a trade. Live negotiate yeah. a trade. <laughs> we might have to do that. Um, all right. Well, this this as always, we 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 
banked another long episode, always longer than we expect it to be. Um, we are going to, in the next episode, we've put the call out. Um, there's still time. If anybody wants to contact us to have us review your team situation in your league um, on what you should do, we're doing sort of a case study episode buying and selling um, and, and, you know, maybe some other context as well. Um, you can let us know. Niv's got a post on the auto new forums about that uh, call to action for anybody that wants us to discuss their teams. We're going to pick three or four of them um, and, and then sort of go over what our, all our individual thoughts are on those squads. So um, look for that next week um, as sort of a double package to two back-to-back episodes on sort of trade deadline uh, uh, subjects. So, all right, as always, thank you for listening.